0: guys welcome to wing and at the west wing podcast this is andrea and i am so very excited to be able to share with you today our interview with richard schiff we were just at the atx festival in austin texas for the west wing reunion and we are so grateful that we had the opportunity to speak with richard and personally as someone who studied theater this is Uh, An amazing opportunity. It's an amazing opportunity to speak to any of the cast members, honestly, but I definitely have a soft spot in my heart for the character of Toby, so this was a delight. So we hope you enjoy it. I love talking to actors that I admire about their approach to acting. Uh, You can blame it on my fondness for inside the actor's studio. I just think it's so fascinating. So I hope you'll indulge my James Lipton tendencies here for a minute. Not that I'm at all on his level, or asked what his favorite swear word was. But hey, maybe on another another episode. Uh, you'll also hear a, a chance encounter with Dennis Leary, and we're going to keep that in. And uh, it's possible that you might see Richard Schiff on Dennis Leary's show, because uh, sometimes that's how deals are made in Hollywood. So I hope you guys enjoy it, and we would love to have Richard back on again, because there's so much more we wanted to... Get to, but we had a limited amount of time and we loved every moment of it. So, hope you guys enjoy.
1: Yeah. Oh, you give me an iPad. Party <laughs> gifts. So it's like Ellen. You get so an sweet. iPad. Well, speaking of gifts, oh, yes, we do you have a little like, something we wish
0: we could have given you earlier. We did. Uh-huh. It would have come in I'm handy. I would have
1: used it on, on the, the stage. On the, <laughs> for you. I was going to throw
0: it at you, but I wasn't sure how good your catch was. Oh, okay. no, was My
1: catch me. is pretty damn good. I would have
0: imagined. Oh, cool. This is the
1: sound of the Spaldine. That I used on the West Wing. And as you can see, it's got nice bounce, so as you can hear. It does.
0: It's like riding it, a bike. feels you're good to have you back. are 17 People Part 2 right now. Uh, um, well, welcome. We're so glad to have you. Thank my, you my so, pleasure. so much for making the time. Um, I'm not going to like single out any other cast members, but this has been like the interview that I've been waiting
1: for. Oh, that's very so. sweet. I hope I don't disappoint.
0: You won't. You yeah. want it all. Um. So a little bit of background. Yeah. We say? So Sally works in advertising. Mm-hmm. Lives in South Carolina. I have a degree in musical theater, but I'm not pursuing that right now. I work in the music industry. Okay. Um. But yeah, I would love to hear about your background with theater and like who you studied with. If I know everybody's different about talking about their approach to acting. Yeah. But I would love to hear.
1: Well, it I took me a long time to get to acting. I was directing plays in New York at Mount Theater Company. And uh, I had studied in college with, a, with someone turned out to be a master named Daryl Gister, who after City College of New York and the Davis Center of Performing Arts, which is where I was, went on to go to the Yale School of Drama, for ran that for like 13 years or something. Um, and he was fascinating. He was a great mentor. But I was really curious from a objective point of view as to why... When I went to certain plays or certain movies, I was put into a trance um, that 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 kept me riveted and unaware of the rest of the world because I was so enthralled with the story that I was watching. And I, as a, almost like a scientist, I went on to a, to to study it to figure out what was that, mm-hmm. and um, and and backdoored my way into this acting program at CCNY. Um, I remember the interview with Earl Gister. I did this very bad audition from Jules Pfeiffer's uh, Little Murders. Mm-hmm. I've since told this story to Hallie Pfeiffer, who's <laughs> Jules daughter. Right. And she was kind of uh, thrilled by the story. And um, was very bad, and started giggling because I was so bad, which I do at auditions <laughs> still to this day. I love it. And uh, afterwards, uh, Earl says, why are you so nervous? And I said, well, because I've never done this before. And he goes, why do you want to be an actor? It was a three-year training program at City College at the time. And I said, I don't want to be an actor. He goes, okay, well, why are you here? I said, because I'm curious. I'm just curious, and maybe it'll help my writing, or maybe... And uh, years later, we were sitting having coffee and smoking his Lucky Strikes in his office, and... um, and I said, by the way, why did you let me into this program? As all these kids from Performing Arts High School and, and leotards, you know, mm-hmm. clearly fame. were theater people. Uh-huh. And fame, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't too far off of when fame was, was, was made. Mm-hmm. All these kids knew those kids from fame. And um, uh, I said, why did you let me in? And he goes, well, in all the years that I've been doing this. And he was the president of the Professional League of Training Programs for all the colleges across the country. Yeah. For all the years I've been doing this. I've never had anyone be more honest in an interview. (laughs) And uh, I said okay. Um, But I I really want it was you know I started directing in college. Mm -hmm. I didn't like to act that much although I did. And um, afterwards started stage managing and directing and creating my own. And then I was frustrated as a director and there were certain actors that I worked with that I found were very directable and also really great. Mm -hmm. And they all had the same teacher in common. Mm -hmm and it was William Esper, okay. who was from the uh, act, uh, from the Neighborhood Playhouse, yeah. and um, had started his own studio, so I called him. I, I said, mm-hmm. I, I want to talk to you because I want to know why your actors are so good mm-hmm. and so directable, which was a big deal for me, because I was kind of feeling like I was losing in touch with the actors' process and probably didn't really understand it to begin with and mm-hmm. convinced myself that I did, as a young as young people do. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, we had a 45 minute talk and he goes, you know, you're an interesting fellow, you should take my class. I go, I don't wanna be an actor. He goes, you should take it anyway. Try my summer program and then if you like it, you can do the two years. And I went, okay, and I took the summer program and very much different than college and Earl Gister who wanted volunteers to work and so I never volunteered. He forced you to get up there every class. And, uh, was so it
0: Meisner
1: based? It was all Meisner, repetition, repetition. all that stuff. Yeah. And I was in terror every single class, waiting for him to not call my name. <laughs> oh, I've been there. And, uh, and, uh, and I started doing it and doing it, and after a while he would go, you know, you, Richard, you could really do this. And I go, I don't, I don't want to do this. And I'd, always, I'd, I'd pretend to only do the exercises, and I'm only doing it for the exercise. Uh-huh. And then it was at the end of the second year when he said, <clears throat> Uh, I'm giving you, it was, were you doing cl- kind of classical or style mm-hmm. uh, part of the work? And he goes, I'm giving you Bernard Shaw, this play, this one act play. Uh, you'll never get it, he says, because the style is too, too, beyond you, but it'll be good for you. Uh-huh. And that burned me. <laughs> and so the, the woman, <laughs> the woman that I was uh, partnered up with, who I'd been partnered up a lot, Uh, luckily for me, because she was fantastic, and I was in love with her. Her name is Robin Lord, and if Robin Lord is listening, please find a way to contact me, because I'm uh, curious about where you are and what your life is like. And um, she had done a lot of Shaw. I said, okay, teach me everything. Mm. Where do I put my hand? How do I stand? All that stuff. And I did it, and kind of not only did I blow um, Bill away, um, but I blew myself away because it was the first time I committed to every aspect of performance, and I, instead of saying oh, I'm just doing an exercise, and uh, I and after I was done, I went, Oh, <laughs> when you really commit to this, it's quite a phenomenal experience, mm-hmm. and um, uh, it's the first time I kind of got the bug at that moment, mm-hmm. and because I was a th- had my own theater company, the class wanted to get together and 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 uh, and produce a play for us all uh and i said well i have 800 unsolicited plays sitting in my apartment so we read all those plays and we found a couple that we wanted to do and one of which d- made sense for me to be the lead in which i didn't beg for but you know and that's what started it and I, we did this play which was actually a hit and we ended up taking it off Bro- off broadway we started off off broadway mm-hmm. and um like cleveland uh, no, in New York, but uh, at the at the Cubiculo Theater, which I, which is a theater that I directed a play in, mm-hmm. which is no longer there. And then we took it to 42nd Street on Theater Row, and that began this thing. and somebody saw me in that. I ended up doing a movie, and I did other plays. And uh, the next thing you know, I'm, unbeknownst to me, had become an actor. I didn't still didn't have a resume or a picture, and I was. You know uh, you know and that's how it, it, it started one of these films ended up screening in LA I had had bad memories on every New York Street corner from various love affairs and marriages mm-hmm. and um, a friend of mine in that in that film said you want to move to LA our film is screening there and I went mm, okay and uh, on gambling money that we made betting the Mets in 1988 right. wow. uh, we, Four, yes. we got a car and and went across country gambling at every phone Booth we could find you know, no cell phones in those days, and we we're going through Oklahoma and Oklahoma State's playing tonight. Let's gamble it. Okay, got to Vegas, lost a half our money. Got to LA, it was the Mets against the Dodgers in the playoffs. We were we were riding the Mets all fall. The Mets got beat. Um, we I doubled down with every single cent that I had left in my name on the first game of the World Series, and that's the famous Kirk Gibson home run where he pulls the chain. Yes. And that was the last bet I've ever made because I was down to wow. zero after one wow. week in yeah. Los Angeles. The thousands of dollars I had made gambling <laughs> and working, driving a cab and everything or it was gone. So um, that was my introduction to L.A., and, and I went, all right, I better get to work here.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, so how did that, does that still inform your approach when you're given a new script, a new character to play? Like, do you go back and do imaginary specifics and raising the stakes for yourself, or is it just all instinctive?
1: It's a point? little bit instinctual now. It's, a little, it's very quick. Yeah. Um, uh, but there are other things. You know, Tim Phillips I studied with uh, back in New York and is now teaching in L.A. and New York. And, and uh, he teaches a thing where, where you know, he calls it Sherlock Holmesing the script, where, where all the cues, clues that you need are in the script. And whenever I'm stumped, I just go back and go back and go back and redo it and redo it and redo it to the point where I think I know more about the story than anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, uh, and that informs it. You just keep doing it and keep doing it. But yeah, sometimes you have to, especially doing theater, you have to de- delve into some technique. And uh, one of the things that you realize after all the years of doing it, and, and, and you know, what, all the reading that I've done about it, and, and all the teachers, you know, Stella Adler, I, I did her lecture class, and um, you know, got to know Sandy a little bit, Sandy Meisner, and, and so on, and Michael Howard, and all these great teachers. And one of the things you realize as you, as you study it is that Stanislavski, which which is all of these various techniques that are taught in this country are are interpretations of what he did. At, you know, the Group Theater went to Moscow in the '30s, and uh, Sandy Meisner came back with his version of it, and 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 Lee Strasberg came back with his version of it, and Stella Adler with her Uta version of it, Nuda Hagen, all these people from the Group Theater. And um, one of the things you realize is that Stanislavsky developed this method as a way to do Chekhov and other Russian playwrights. Um, with Russians that were very, very stiff Mm -hmm. and very closed off emotionally. Mm -hmm. I was devising improvs and techniques and exercises to open up Mm -hmm. uh, their instrument. Mm -hmm. Um, And you realize that if you're already opened up, there's a lot of that stuff you don't necessarily need to do um, unless it's for a specific moment or a specific thing. And and that technique is is there when inspiration isn't working, and inspiration is something you cannot rely on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just like a football player. You can't rely on the adrenaline rush. Sometimes you have to follow the techniques and the practicing of each play that you've done a hundred times, and then. When you do it in a game, it is an improv within the frameworks and the parameters of the technique of that play that you practiced 130 times. But it might make you cut back and go the other way and find the opening and and turn it into a 30-yard gain as opposed to just running up the middle like the play is designed but it's closed and you're going to get tackled for a two-yard loss
0: of that. I'm like, <laughs> yes, yeah, theater yes, and sports. <laughs> yeah. uh, the baseball, <laughs> the football, I'm there.
1: Uh, yeah. So, but but that's uh, sports is a good analogy because you train, you train, you train. But then it's an improv, mm-hmm. and you have to be present in the moment and and hit the open man in basketball. And um, one of the things we did in the West Wing so well is hit the open man and set each other up for plays. Um, uh, but ultimately, you have you have to find a way to be present in the moment and fully ready and filled and prepared. Mm-hmm. And and technique, to me, is filling up to the brim so that mm-hmm. when you go on stage, or when the camera starts to roll, you can't but help but act this. Yeah. You, you're desperate to get this out of your system. Mm-hmm. You, you have to do it, you know. Um, uh, and that's that's how I approach it.
0: It comes across so well. I, I mean, just the the nonverbal things, yes. but just the intimacy that you get with screen acting. I mean, yeah. the, yours are incredible. So I just thank you for being here. <laughs> um, and we were just in the panel, so we already heard. Um, Aaron talking about kind of the true north of Toby mm-hmm. and honestly to me again this is not a slam against the other actors but I really feel like Toby was like the soul of the show in a way that was different than some of the other characters I mean and I, I don't know if I can put a finger on it other than you know and you can tell us how you would describe Toby because for me it's a strong sense of, of justice like a commitment to the truth and uh, being an agitator maybe not just to be an agitator but to really get the excellence out of Bartlett or whoever he well
1: was I think part part of it came from a, a, a dissatisfaction with anything but uh, uh, but the the, the the most perfect possibility given the circumstances and I think a lot of Toby was taken from the way I approach um, acting and the way I approach you know the potential brilliance of every Aaron Sorkin script and and not being satisfied until we at least came close to the ceiling Mm -hmm. of that. And um, so I think uh, Aaron uh, uh, saw that in me and started to write, um, um, started to write that.
0: I was going to say, what was, was there a character breakdown when you went in for those? No. Like, what was, well, I, what you did you what, think you were going in for? What's
1: been revealed lately is, uh, you know, uh, an actor came up to me years later and said, uh, you know, I was the other one, I was the other one uh, of the two people that were, da- it was down to the two of us, which I had no idea, because I was so tunnel visioned when we went for the test at NBC, and so uh, humiliated by the, by the experience of having to test or excuse me, people who sell soap, no, yeah. you know, um, uh, and I'm sure they they're very smart people know and know what they're doing, and sell a lot of soap, <laughs> uh, but uh, and doing it in an office. It was a little mm-hmm. tiny office, and and it was so arbit- uh, arbitrary and kind of artificial, mm-hmm. and then to create a soul, in those circumstances was very always been very difficult for me. So, I was tunnel vision. I had no idea he was the other actor, and he said, he actually said you know I th- sure it was my part and I said why was that and He because I put my ear to the door when you were auditioning I couldn't hear a word you were saying <laughs> so I just this guy I've got this and that actor turned out to be Eugene Levy wow. and and, uh, and when you think about it there's no chance that the character would have been the same and I think equally uh, I, th- I mean you know fascinating that he would he would have brought to it a whole nother a whole nother thing yeah. um, um, uh, so I don't think Aaron, as he said today, uh, knew exactly who this guy was. And I think, as a great writer does on on a live, uh, flowing, you know, progressing uh, television series, uh, uses what's in front of him, and the qualities of a certain actor uh, or person, and 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 in, infuses in, 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 in that into the writing and into the character. But there was a couple, I mean I was gonna say this today, but it was, it was a little too crowded in yeah, there. Well, yeah. um, but the pilot was one uh, um, seminal moment when that scene with the, with the uh, Christian Wright with Mary Marsh, and, um, and I remember as written, uh, Toby gets very upset because she says that New York sense of humor. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, when we were rehearsing it, and I said to, to both Tommy and Aaron, I said, "Why? I don't understand why Toby's getting so upset. And, and, and Tommy was, you know, full of adrenaline. They were both really loud, because I think Brad alluded to the fact that, I, I would, why are you shouting to Tommy? <laughs> and Tommy uh, was saying, it's the Judah button. It's the Judah button. He's just so sensitive to anything anti-Semitic. Semitic. And I said, I don't agree with that. I don't think that's accurate. I think that he's been around it. He's traveled the whole world. He, he's been around anti-Semitism all his life. He doesn't, he's not going to react uh, that you know, I think I think she needs to want something from this. She needs to want to take advantage of this, and that's what, that's what burns Toby. Mm-hmm. So Aaron wrote the line for Mary Marsh, after Josh's apology. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's yes. deal. Mm-hmm. At which point Toby does a double take and says, "I'm sorry," uh-huh. and she says, "What do we get?" I don't know what I said at that point for what or yeah. something like that. And then the slow burn starts to happen, which says this woman has the audacity mm-hmm. to try to take advantage mm-hmm. of this scenario yeah. for political gain. Not off the Bill of Rights or something like that. Yeah. And that's when I not only did a slow burn, but blew up and exploded that whole meeting and defeated our entire purpose because, because of that. Not because she was anti-Semitic. I knew that going in, that she hated us for whatever her reasons were. I don't care about that. Mm-hmm. Um, that to me, I think, defined that he was emotional but was very, very much a political operative and knew what the score was. Mm-hmm. You know, The other moment that happened in that first season was in Excelsis Deo under the bridge when he says to the, the homeless uh, brother of the homeless vet who had died on the bench, who was I think the idea for a funeral comes under the bridge at that moment. And I start to present the idea to the man who's not understanding me because he's slow. And at one point I go, you, you don't understand, I'm an influential. And I say, I'm, I'm a very powerful man. And I, every take I put my head in my hand and, and was like, I don't believe I'm saying this. This is embarrassing that I have to say this out loud. And 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 that, that informed this character moving forward for me mm-hmm. because he's not someone that that ever would want to take advantage, like Mary Marsh, ever take advantage of his of his of his power mm-hmm. and was embarrassed to even have to say the words out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, but was crossing the line and using that power to <clears throat> to make a wrong right, you know
0: we talked a lot about that episode, about that moment specifically, we talked about how great that was and how it was like it almost pained him to say, I'm a person of power, that you could right. see that in the way you delivered the line, in the way you, like you were talking about and um, that's that's a common theme, what we talked about throughout the series is um, Toby's, or just the way, there are so many uh, nonverbal acting cues, so many tiny moments yeah. of just your facial expression or just anything I mean, when, when President Barley tells you about the MS and you're reaction to that just moments like that and was that something that you or I don't know how early on in the process you kind of figured that out about him the subtlety of it
1: well it's um, um it's uh, uh, you know the looks are always there for me and it's a credit to the editing and it's a credit to Tommy um, that they would uh, find him in the edits and in the takes and understand that that is more as much if not more powerful a moment you know, uh, I think Tommy recently talked about the, uh, again, that uh, that episode in Excelsior's Deo at the bench when I kept looking at the cop. It's like, you know, what are you doing? You're showing disrespect. Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, and, and then I remember in 17 people, which I, again, looked at for the first time recently. And um, in that opening sequence, it was so beautifully edited. <clears throat> and me asking questions of Leo and then time goes on and I'm hitting the ball yeah. and, then she, and then somebody comes into the office and the way I look at him because I don't I don't trust, I don't trust it, you know. Um, it all played in, in, in the mind. It all played in what I was thinking about what he was saying and the way he was trying to desperately dismiss this as not important. Um, and, uh, and Tommy also you know, very often told me, he goes, thank God, thank God. I found a way to get out of that that scene, and I couldn't figure out how to get out of it. And then we finally went to your coverage because mm-hmm. I didn't speak at all in the scene. And then you do this thing at the end of the scene where you put your head against the wall, and because that was my out. And like, thank God, you know. So I was always reacting, always reacting um, from Toby's point of view, and Tommy was brilliant enough to find it and use it. But you don't see that very often there's not, not enough time people aren't sensitized that that can be powerful um in in their in their the way that they create their particular shows but i always i'm always offering it if they want it very
0: yeah, generous and i feel like yeah every scene you come into you do seem full but also holding back and only allowing the right thing out for that moment and
1: well, you know, it became a thing. Underplaying became became a, people have described me as underplaying. I don't look at it that way, but I know that you can't underplay or throw a line away unless you're sitting on top of a, of a volcano. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people, and you know, later on, uh, directors were going, "Oh, just throw it away! Just throw it away!" It became a thing. You no, know, just throw it away. And I, I kept thinking, you can't throw away nothing. You have to have something to throw it away. You know, so uh, 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 you have to be full, and I think who the character is. I'm playing a character on Rogue, which is okay TV show, <laughs> but that uh, that the, that, the uh, that I love my character on because he's he's Trumpish. He's very he's very um, uh, narcissistic and uh, and and it's not an endorsement, is it? <laughs> after power. If you like narcissism and nefarious <laughs> motives, then it's an endorsement. But it's. Uh, I've always been fascinated with psychotic um, uh, characters who just only see things one way and do not care about the consequence. He's very loud. He's very uh, unedited. Um, uh, uh, And that, that, but you have to be full. And then that comes out because that's who that guy is. Or he can be full and be worried and concerned and not sure and have fear. Um, but want to do the right thing, and then those are all the ingredients you put into Toby, and then things just kind of spurt out because mm-hmm. he can't hold, can't hold it back, yeah. or because he knows he's right, or because he hopes he's right, or whatever.
0: Yeah. Um. Do you have any favorite? I mean, working on a show for seven years, do you have any favorite on-set memories? Either you know, just with the cast, or specific uh, episodes that you remember shooting that either were particularly hard to do or joyful to do or are there any
1: specific um, that stand out? you know I mean, it was alluded to today by tommy and we all had i guess our moment with uh carl malden when he was on the set and uh I, I separate from tommy um you know i went up to him to just say thank you for all your work and he was holding the bible that he was using in the scene with the president mm-hmm. and by the way he was phenomenal uh, never missed a line as Tommy said, 88 years old. It was like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh.
0: Now it's take the Sabbath day, right? Yeah. People mm-hmm. want to go back and rewatch.
1: And he was holding the Bible, and I said, that looks old. And he goes, well, this is, this is the Bible that my character held in on the waterfront. I
0: got chills. <laughs> yeah. that end up in your car <laughs> on the way home? And I got,
1: oh my God. And I said, can I have it? No, I not <laughs> And uh, that, that was a remarkable moment for me. And just, you know, getting to work with Carl Malden, getting to work with Glenn Close, um, yeah. All these incredible guest stars. You look back, you know the, the Eric Stone Street was on our show for a minute. You know uh, what's his name? Also from Modern Family, the, uh, the dad. There
0: were so many guest stars. I don't
1: oh. know his name offhand, but you know yeah. um, uh, Omar, who I'm working with in Ballers, was on our show for a while. Who I remember, you know Nick
0: Alden, John Goodman. John Goodman. Yeah. John, so well, John Goodman John. is it's another like great an example. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: And uh, you know, but there are moments like when the Democratic convention hit, hit. Uh, I think we were shooting 17 people. I'm not sure, but I was ha- i was in the middle of doing this incredibly difficult scene in the Oval Office, and I think it might have been 17 people. I'm not sure. And I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm preparing for like four days, and I'm pacing around the set. And we're just about to start, and we start rolling on me, and the doors burst open, and there's uh, 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 what's his name from the Today Show. What's his name?
0: Uh, Matt Lauer.
1: There's Matt Lauer from the Today Show. <laughs> coming in with a full TV crew. Oh god. Um, and Al Gore oh, following and Al Gore <laughs> following in and I'm like and uh, my reaction is I am pissed off. I'm ready right. to go yeah, here. Right. What the hell's going on? And then we had a break for an hour while you know they did all this today show stuff. Oh man. Um, while I was holding on to this it's volcano I new ammunition. Yeah, I no, well, you know. You don't want to throw yourself off the cart, you know. Yeah, yeah. But um uh, but during but during the convention was kind of fascinating because all these all these luminaries would come by these political real people including Al Gore and and the center we had a party on the set and then we would bust over to the convention and, you know uh, and and we were treated like we were all a different version of Elvis Presley going back to Memphis you know i mean they they, they inundated us we could not walk two steps without 60 people well, you know, wanting to talk and autograph, and uh, and all I wanted to do was sit in the New York section. I wanted to go back home to New York, and I was like, "Where's New York? It's up there. We got a seat for you in Nevada." No, oh, I want to sit no. in New York. It's up yeah, there. You know? Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Uh, so that was kind of fun, and uh, and then shooting on location in D.C. I always enjoyed that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, getting to know the city. You know, you know, the first years of the Clinton administration. The first years that we were working was the end of the Clinton administration, and. We got to know the whole staff. I got to know all the writers, and uh, I'd get a call saying, "I hear you're shooting," and I go, "Yeah, I'm across the street. I'll come over for lunch." So you know, we'd we'd hang out and so on. And uh, one time, I'm sitting in uh, at, at Lincoln, is it the Lincoln Park right across the street um, from the White House, and I have a few hours off and I'm having a cigar and reading a script, and my phone rings. Uh, Richard, is this you? I go, "Yeah, it's John Podesta." I, I go, uh, hi, <laughs> hi John. Hi <laughs> John. He goes, listen, Hillary and Bill can't make this event for the uh, uh, National Association of. Hey Matt, how are you? I don't want to interrupt your, um, to you. It's Okay. I don't know you're oh, point, okay. <laughs> how you doing, pal? Back at mean, you. I don't want
0: to. Um- oh, you're wow, totally okay. okay. You're totally from okay. The
1: it's Dennis Leary who <laughs> yeah, deserves, yeah, Who's, who's okay. got the uh, Sorry, got the, so, the so, option? Uh, how are you?
0: I'm partner, the golfer, the golfer.
1: Oh, my God, that's right, yeah. It's so to see you, man. It's great to see you. How's Jimmy doing? He's on the East Coast, right? Awesome. He's
0: coming back, of course. He's been talking about you.
1: Okay. Sorry. Great to see uh, you. Dennis, Dennis, back at you, man, for years and years and years.
0: Yeah.
1: You should play What? You could play his father on my show. Okay. So you understand that we just made a deal? Yeah, verbal, a hey, verbal. Yeah, it's a podcast. It's a podcast so, yeah. we just made a deal. It's gonna we'll be have on Sex Abroad Directors playing God. John Ailes' father. Okay? Hey, <laughs> when when do I start?
0: Um, season three. Yeah, it's gonna be February. Next season.
1: I'm going to hold you to that. <laughs> <laughs> <I'd> li- <laughs> uh that's hysterical. Um uh, you should hang around these festivals more often right, and get more right, work. Right.
0: Okay, we gotta we gotta let you go. No, let me yeah. finish
1: the let me finish the point. What was the point? Where was I? You
0: uh, got a call. Got a call from John Podesta. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, John Podesta calls me and goes, "Listen, Hillary and Bill can't make this event with the National Breast Cancer Association, NBCCC, NBCC, uh National Breast Cancer Coalition, and uh, we're in the we're in the treaty room in the OEOB. Uh, uh, can you come over? The women found out you're in town and they they're all going nuts." I went, you're kidding. Well, he goes, yeah, just say a few words. And I went, okay. So I will go over to the treaty room in the OEOB, and there's these women. And again, it's Elvis. These are politically activated women, um, all of whom are, are survivors of breast cancer. I have Aunt Judy and my sister-in-law, and I was so moving and so touching. And John Podesta is there, and I get introduced. And next thing I know, I'm speaking in a political function with um, uh, these amazing people who I worked with for quite a few years after that um, uh, because they're such a great organization. But and, uh, that's an example of the kinds of things yeah. that would happen.
0: So, well, we could be here all day. Yes, thank like you go. so much for joining us. We had a yes. great time.